0: Hi my name is Anne McElhenney And I'm Phelan McAleer Welcome to the Anne and Phelan Scoop It is week 100 Of the two weeks to flatten the curve lockdown It really is And we just have to mention though That according to the experts It's basically over Well it's over, yes It's kind of over It's kind of over Does that mean we stop with with mentioning Oh cat trying to drink my water
1: Top cat, go away does that mean he, no he's got perfect he's got loads of water out there I don't know why he's coming out to drink our water get out your actually, greedy actually somebody
0: wrote and by the way somebody wrote in the messages on YouTube and said what is it with cats drinking out of your own cup yes. she had exactly the same problem he wants He wants
1: mine he's going over for mine Where's no he, he
0: needs to stop stop alright
1: so yes wait, yes by the way to be serious there are 2000 people a day dying of COVID Where? in America in America yeah
0: in the whole country yeah but, but I mean, are, but, are, but
1: we were told if it saves one life, we have to shut down the economy. And now they've just now because the polling has said this is deeply unpopular. Suddenly they've decided to sacrifice, you know, by their own metric, to sacrifice two thousand lives. Of course, it won't save those two thousand lives. A lockdown never saved lives, uh, or saved negligible lives for the for the for the chaos that it created.
0: I think what's happened as well in America is that the midterms are looming. Yes, right. And suddenly you have all these democratic um, legislators saying, I'm not going to get reelected because of these draconian... laws. Um, And because of the
1: mask mandates and all that, and now they're lifting mask mandates everywhere in schools except, of course, LA. Of course, uh, in LA County County. everything has to be kept. Yeah, even uh, uh, Democrats all over. But I mean and also, you can see it also up north with the Canadian truckers. I mean, Trudeau is standing firm you know, it's wrong to call it Canadian truckers now it's Canadian working people uh, who are protesting They're, they're closing Ottawa they're closing the border, factories are closing as a result uh, it's creating real chaos. And let's see how long Trudeau uh, will hold uh, hold back. I mean, I think... Is that blackface Trudeau? Black, Mr. Mammy. <laughs> Mammy. Actually, I,
0: that brings us on to the fact that our, ne- our, our interview to do... Well, I, be- I want
1: to talk a little bit more okay. about the truckers. Uh, so, Justin Trudeau has two choices. Mammy. He has... Um, he can... Negotiate with the truckers, but he says he will not negotiate with these racist, misogynistic, Islamophobic, uh, Trudeauphobic people. Uh, or he can send in the the, the army, basically, because I don't think the cops are going to have the capability of going in to clear that. Um, let's see. You know, the the urge for authoritarianism is very strong in liberals. The urge to crack down on the lumpen proletariat who just don't get it. As Stalin show, you know, I mean, they always go for the working for the workers first. Uh, as Stalin showed, you know, the the the, the, the te- that, that's where they go first. So let's see where Mister Mammy goes now. So what what else is on the show? On
0: we have a very wonderful interview with Mister Hollywood himself, Christian Toto, the journalist, his, yeah, the journalist, on his new book.
1: Yeah, he's um, he was. We first met him through Breitbart dot com, uh, but he's he's written a new book on Hollywood went broke and lost its soul and an awful lot of money. So let let's we'll listen to that later. Yeah, what else? Oh yeah. This is why this next story, the, the the next story in the show will be. You'll, this is evidence why I do not have a DNR, a do not resuscitate order. I will never have a DNR or a do not resuscitate order. In fact, if you look at my Twitter bio, it's uh, all the details of my life are there. And then, in block capitals, please resuscitate. <laughs>
0: I didn't even realize I was there till this week, but good to know, Phil Just good to know, yeah. Given it's just that, kiss, by the way, and oh also yeah. given the fact, given the fact that this awful news, by the way, just the, apropos of nothing except for the DNR thing, this awful news about about Bob Saget—really awful, Ooh. extraordinary it is, story, it is, really it weird, weird story. I have to. Well, say, actually, it's not weird. It's weird. not
1: weird because um, when we were in serbia serbia and john james shooting my son hunter which we're editing we're getting cuts we're getting we're getting to see it when john james uh walked into a glass door of a restaurant and cut his head they the serbians they gave him a couple of stitches but then they wanted to take him for either a cat scan or an mri one of those scan scans or pet scans or cat scans or dog scans whatever it is and we were going no no it's it's saturday night we got to go and Party or whatever, you know. I'm not saying we did that, but we, you know, we, we wanted to get out of there. And they were very insistent that he stay and have the scan. They made him sign a form saying you're not agreeing to the scan. And then they said, when you go back to the hotel, you must be woken every two hours. And if you do not wake, you must be immediately taken to hospital. So he had to agree to get the hotel to phone him every two hours to check that he was alive and conscious. It wasn't and, a
0: problem, actually, because but, the manager of the hotel was basically him a massive fan of John James. But, but
1: uh, there you go, that was an a, a exact example of why. And, and the Serbians were very smart. They knew, just like Bob Saget, that this man had a bang on his head. He could Terrible. be bleeding internally, even though, I mean, Bob Saget, John James at least had a gash on his forehead. Bob Saget had no gashes. Terrible. And, and and died. So, actually, to be fair to the Serbians, you're and right. Further- Can I just, uh, there was something else I, would, I, I wanted to say. Oh, but, um, yeah. So, Anne claims not to have noticed on my Twitter bio, there's a which sustenance. We'll come back to that later. But, um, yeah, we'll come back to that later, actually. Okay. And
0: what do satirists do when the news is completely insane we have a number of stories yes. on that
1: and just when you thought handing out crack pipes were insane what what do you see what the british and irish governments are smoking uh, regarding energy they they really are living in a alternative drug-filled universe
0: and we got an amazing response by the way to my request for help with the dilemma situation um beautiful messages from all over the place i've got a lot of them to read out um of all the suggestions that you sent but we had a winner and uh We'll bring the winner to you later, but, well, um, but thank you so much for that. It was really fun.
1: I know. You've got a lot of lemons?
0: No, and I actually wrote that. I actually said that intentionally. I've got a lot of lemons, but don't give me a suggestion for lemonade. So let's go first of all over to our interview with Christian Toto, which yep. we did just a little bit earlier.
1: So we're joined now by Christian Toto, our friend Christian Toto. Christian is an award-winning journalist, movie critic, uh, and editor of Hollywood and Toto. Uh, as also a contributor to The Daily Wire. He previously worked as a, an associate editor with Breitbart, an editor with Breitbart. In fact, he, I think he's one of Andrew Breitbart's first employees. Uh, that's certainly, we met him through Andrew Breitbart in those early days of, back when Breitbart was called Big Hollywood. Uh, uh, and uh, people may remember this. So welcome to the show, Christian. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it yeah was i right there um you're you you're one of the first employees at Brightport.
2: You know, I wasn't among the first three or four, but I was in the early the early wave for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was only there for a few months after Andrew passed. It was one of the most shocking things I can remember, honestly. But uh, it was a fun, feisty crew back then, and uh, I'm glad to be part
1: of it. It was, yeah. it was. So you have a new book out now, um, and that's why we have you here. It's called uh, Virtue Bombs, How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul. So just for the sake of, you know, for everyone that's listening, what's your definition of woke and how how has it affected Hollywood and what we see on our screens?
2: I think maybe the simplest way to describe it is it's an interruption of the creative impulse that when you're writing a story, telling a joke, creating a narrative, is that you run into a roadblock. You can't do this character because he or she represents something that you don't want to do or say or share. Uh, You can't tell certain jokes because that may offend certain groups or communities. Um, You know, I I think, and it often happens when you're watching a movie or a TV show or something where all of a sudden you go, Oh, there's the lecture. There's the moment. Mm -hmm. It's woke. it's, It's trying to send a message that maybe doesn't flow organically with the, with the material in play. So I think it kind of spreads in different ways, but that's maybe the most direct, Example: It's it's stopping free thought, free speech, free expression from flowering.
0: So, when do you think this started? Um, you know, was there a particular moment? Was it Trump? Was it Obama? Was has, it,
1: has Hollywood always been woke, or has just got worse was it recently? Was
2: gradual? You know, I mean, Hollywood has been liberal for quite some time. That's obvious. Uh, but liberal and woke, I mean, they're interconnected for sure. But it's not, they're not exactly the same. I, I think it's hard to pinpoint because I think even in the culture, it's hard to pinpoint. But I will say that the, the Ghostbusters reboot from 2016 was sort of a pivotal moment. I cover that extensively in the book because here is this sort of girl power moment where you took the, the all boys group and made it all female comedians that's fine. You know, you can like that, you can dislike that. But what happened around that film, it became a cultural issue where the people behind the scenes, the Sony, the studio, they were kind of cheering on in the culture war around the film. And even journalists were basically saying, well, if you don't like this project, you might be a misogynist. So that was a woke sort of storm that was blowing. Yeah, well,
1: well, one thing I will say is uh, you know, I, I the movie was unwatchable actually. I had a friend who he was a journalist and he watched it with a bunch of other journalists and the room was absolutely quiet. Like there was no one laughed during it at all, but they all went out and wrote glowing reviews of it. Because um, you had to, Because ha- well, you, you know, if you didn't, you were a misogynist. And I think Charles Johnson, he got banned from Twitter. That's when he, that was one of the early bannings from Twitter, just from saying, we're going to take, we got to take Leslie Jones down as in, we should take this nonsense down, but they pretended it was some kind of threat. And I tell you who else doesn't doesn't didn't doesn't believe in the in the girl power Ghostbusters. I think it was John Nolte who pointed that out. Ghostbusters themselves don't believe it. The new Ghostbusters doesn't acknowledge that the female ghostbusters exist, right? They've just went straight from Ghostbusters One to Ghostbusters three and written the female Ghostbusters out of history
2: yeah it was a really interesting course correction the new movie has a lot of fan service sort of reaching out directly to the fans which which the reboot did not do uh sony realized the error of its way it's good for sony for having some self-awareness but that's what happened with the you know ghostbusters afterlife they realized how badly they did it they also dialed down the budget so it would be more successful but it was really fascinating to watch that play out and just a. You mentioned the critics and the reporters. Richard Roper, who I believe is a left-of-center fellow, he was with uh, Roger Ebert for a while. He said, "My fellow critics graded Ghostbusters on a on a scale. That's fascinating. On a curve, I should say.
1: What do you mean on a curve? What does that mean? That, like you
2: said, like it. Critics felt compelled to say this mediocre to bad movie was pretty good, pretty funny. It's great. It's wonderful. It's not. It's not as bad as everyone says it is. So they they kind of tweak their own views and their own critical sentiments to promote this project that was that was what he said and again he's not a not a right-wing guy he's just a a critic who saw the, the lay of the land
0: so what's it like for people trying to work in hollywood right now like what are the rules
2: are there are there rules Well, you know, one of the things that's amazing about this woke situation is that there are no real concrete rules. You know, what would Alec Baldwin need to get kicked out of Hollywood at this point? He's thrown around homophobic slurs, allegedly uh, um, racial slurs, physical violence. He's admitted he was, uh, you know, treated women poorly within Hollywood. And then he accidentally shoots someone to death. He's on a film set again, you know. And yet Roseanne Barr sends out one really gross, ugly tweet, and she's gone. You know, Gina Carano sent out some tweets which were kind of a little pugnacious, maybe against the narrative. She's gone, but Bette Midler—oh, she says the most horrible things on Twitter all the time, and she's perfectly fine. So so there's a
1: hierarchy of getting canceled. Is is that right?
2: Oh, absolutely. Jimmy Kimmel is fine. Alec Baldwin is fine. Howard Stern is now fine. He—if you look at Howard Stern's legacy. He could be cancelled for about a thousand reasons, but in recent years he came out against President Trump. He's also for the vaccine group think, and he agrees with the media on most issues. So the woke mob doesn't come for him because he's an ally. And so they're not going to apply the same standards of justice as they see it.
0: Uh, In our new film, which is called My Son Hunter, which is coming out very soon, we actually have Gina Carano um, starring in it. And um, you devote a full chapter in your book to Gino Carano. What? Tell us what happened to her.
2: Well, she was not a not a left leaning personality, and she would share images and, and messages on social media that were against the narrative. It, it may be uh, questioning election integrity. It may be dub- questioning. Uh, The narrative on COVID nineteen, the pandemic, the regulations, the restrictions, and that put a target on her back. And Disney essentially said so to her. And now she could have stayed quiet and kept her job, but she said, "You know, I have a voice, I have an opinion. I'm an American. I shouldn't be silenced." So she kept speaking out. And then Disney fired her from The Mandalorian for one of her comments, which again was very innocuous. It was actually a I'm not a big Nazi Nazi, uh, you know analogy fan. I I think. I just don't go there. So I don't I don't necessarily agree with what she said 100%. But it was a call for empathy, first and foremost. And they fired her. They said it was anti-Semitic. It was just an excuse. They wanted to get rid of her. Because in Hollywood, you're not allowed to be a free thinker. Mm-hmm. Joe Rogan is finding that out of the hard way. Gina Carano did as well. And then The Daily Wire, God bless them, swooped in and said, we're going to make you a movie star again. We're going to let you produce a film. And of course, you know she's working with you as well. So there's a happy ending to that story. But the story itself is very instructive.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned in your book, uh, and again, John Nolte talked about this as well about Gina Carano. Uh, there was an article in the Hollywood Reporter where you know they they quote this Hollywood public relations representative. He said, uh, you know, if you work uh, in the entertainment business, anything that offends the left is going to be a problem. And mm-hmm. the, the same executive added, you know, as you say, this extraordinary statement: I have clients who are making an extraordinary effort to post what the social left want them to wants to see so they're just posting stuff uh, in the hope that the, the left don't come from them uh, pandering to them
2: it's uh, it's it's cynical it's kind of shocking in a way but it's actually pragmatic I understand where they're coming from because they do realize that if they do say the wrong thing or if they even even if they say nothing they could get in trouble look at Kevin Hart with the Oscars he was tapped to be the Oscar host a few years ago Kevin Hart is a pretty apolitical fellow. He's very uplifting on social media. He's very funny and kind. He doesn't kind of mix it up and throw sharp elbows in either direction. And I'm sure that's on purpose. But because he was so apolitical, he didn't have a defense mechanism when they found old jokes of his which were deemed homophobic. So he was gone.
0: Uh, We just want to mention to people, by the way, they can find out um, your thinking on on all the entertainment that's going on by going to Hollywood in Toto, HIT um, online, and we'll give people the link to that. Um, I was going to say that you must watch an awful lot of TV and movies for your job. But what do you watch when you're relaxing? What do you watch for entertainment?
2: It's so funny, you know. um... About a year ago, my wife was dealing with breast cancer, and that combined with the pandemic really changed how I watch TV in my private, like my leisure time. I like horror movies. I like thrillers. I like it home invasion. I thought he was going to say. it. Like, no, I only watch.
0: I thought he was going to say things about was...
2: dogs and cats. Yeah, and I, thought gonna, I thought
0: you were going to say what my well, father was saying.
2: Processing is. it. My father. I'm sorry, what say- was that? Go ahead. I said that's my weird way of processing my emotions. I guess for me, I find horror movies an escape at a release valve. My my wife looks at me funny, but uh, <laughs> I I didn't want to watch serious, sophisticated, uh, you know, in depth stories in my private time. I just wanted to watch escapism, and I still feel that to a certain degree. I, I mean, the pandemic is not over. Over. It's still the, the the hangover is significant, but on a personal level, that's just where I am right now.
0: Yeah. Um, and I, I saw you just writing recently, actually, about the, the new uh, film from Daily Wire, In," which we've just watched.
1: Um, top class movie. Top
2: class movie. You know, what the Daily Wire is showing right out of the gate is that we're going to give you good films. You may not love them. You know, everyone, everything is subjective. But this is high quality art with good performances, strong production values at a pretty, I'm sure the budget was very small. Yeah. Yeah. But that's OK. It looks great you know they they, they have this many scenes in a in a pantry and yet visually it's interesting to watch and uh you know and hiring Vincent Gallo what a home run that was it's yeah. you know uh he's such an eclectic fellow and he's great in the movie so uh nice good for the daily wire
0: Yeah, I thought you'd like that one, actually, when you say that you like kind of horror movies. It was a little bit more scary and terrifying than I would normally watch. But I kind of had that. I thought it was The Daily Wire. And I thought, you know what? This is going to have a good ending. And they Mm -hmm. kept, you know, they had these, you know, flashes where you saw the crucifix. And I thought something good has to come out of this. But, uh, But yeah, very brilliant performance, by the way, by the lead actress, who I'm finding out today is, is it correct that she's the daughter of Andy McDowell? Is that right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, I don't know. what she, Has she been in anything else before? I haven't seen her in anything before.
2: She's been in a few projects before. Uh, this may get her the more fame than others. But uh, and also I, I and for full disclosure, I do contribute to The Daily Wire. I'm not a full timer, but I would say this regardless. You know, what they're doing is so interesting. And, and, you know, they're not doing heavy propaganda. You know, they're not doing their version of the Comey rule or the upcoming J6 movie about the the riots uh, in the Capitol. They're just telling stories that maybe have a bit of an edge, maybe have a bit of faith, but they're not going to knock you over the head with it. I think it's a great strategy.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, well, what's the name of the book again? And Where can people get it?
2: It's called Virtue Bombs: How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul. I didn't come up with the title, but I did write the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get it at Amazon. I, I'm sure most bookstores will, you know, will have it for you. Amazon, for all their flaws as a company. Yeah. They do the job right as far as getting books to you right away so you can get it there.
1: I mean, we're, we're coming towards the end of the interview now, uh, but I suppose we didn't talk about the comedy scene. I mean, okay. who, who would be a comedian nowadays? By the way, Anne McElhinney is a comedian now. And you're, <laughs> when are you, when's your next show well, on?
0: Performing, performing very soon in, in Santa Monica, my third stand-up routine.
1: Um, uh, yes, but where well, can people buy tickets for that? That's right. Very At, funny. at the American Freedom Alliance I website?
0: Believe, I believe so where yeah no that's a very good question where can people see comedy that's just comedy anymore
1: or is that does that that exist does
0: that that exist yeah
1: it does exist
2: i think you're looking at uh patreon supported comedians you're looking at uh, comedians on youtube podcasting jp sears has a lot of funny videos ryan long is maybe the best right now that he, he's apolitical but he, he just swats the woke right and left he's amazing um you know tim dylan tim Dillon to me sounds like howard stern 20 30 years ago he's exceptional and uh you know and he's also a comedian you know he, he, not everything you say you can agree with but he he's he's really pugnacious he's really strong he's really thoughtful And he's funny. So it's out there. Uh, Tyler Fisher, Chrissy Mayer, uh, Lou Perez, you know, right now they haven't shut down these people and they're able to succeed with kind of outside the ecosystem of Hollywood.
0: It's interesting, we we actually have just recently started, we're quite, we're quite late to coming to things, I have to say, when it comes to some of the, the entertainment in the world. We have just recently um, come to succession. And I don't know, don't spoil it for me, but cer- certainly we watched the first episode and thought it felt a lot like The Sopranos. It was very mm. pure, beautifully written. And I didn't detect anything woke in it, which was really, really refreshing. And I just, I'm hoping it doesn't go there. Um, <laughs> But is there are there any other lights out there of things that people things that people can watch that are just that that haven't been affected by this madness?
2: Well, you make a good point because even shows that aren't woke often go there. The mm-hmm. Ranch was a show on Netflix, and I think in its last season they had gun control uh, propaganda things like that. You know, I've seen only part of it, but Cobra Kai, the the Karate Kid extension, I've heard from everyone. It, it, it's not woke at all. It's almost anti woke at times. It's very entertaining. It's such a It sounded like such a a a quickie a gimmick to kind of extend another franchise but by all accounts it's excellent i've seen the first season it's quite good so that's that's an example but they they are they are more rare than you think yellowstone
0: oh yeah people talk about
2: yellowstone we haven't seen that but apparently that's avoiding the woke world it is so far we'll have to see and you know it is a sensation the numbers are massive and i don't think it gets nearly the cultural attention that it deserves. If it was a different kind of show, I think the press would be reporting on it twenty four seven. They do report on it to a certain
1: extent, yeah, I, but, but yeah,
2: it is a heartland
1: hit. As journalists, we know the difference between reporting on something, covering something, and and you know going into depth. You know, you know they can cover it and write about it, and you know, and do one interview, but then they can do who does the costumes, who looks after the horses. You know,
0: what do you like to do at the weekend? Yeah,
1: you know? yeah, me and my spoons. You know, what's your what, what was your first holiday? You know, just these kind of you know stuff on the edges that really it means you cannot open a magazine or a website where you see don't see something about Yellowstone, and they do that to their favorite people and their favorite shows and their favorite topics.
2: That is an essential point. I want to give you a quick example of exactly that. I set up a Google alert for the movie "Don't Look Up." That's the Netflix film about it's a climate change satire essentially they're trying to warn us about climate change we, we must listen to the scientists so i set up a google alert because i wanted to get information about it. it's what i cover every day i get a google alert with maybe between three and eight stories per day about that movie it's exactly why they love the message they love the theme and they're going to report on every possible molecule of that movie so it gets as much coverage as much attention as humanly possible that's a great point
1: yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. One of the things
0: I was going to mention just another thing. I mean, Hollywood seems to be used more and more for political messaging. And obviously, with the Supreme Court decision coming up in the, you know, whether or not Roe v. Wade will get overturned, I've noticed that there's two movies, two abortion movies were uh, highlighted at Sundance. Um, One's a
1: documentary, one's a movie. Yeah
0: and they couldn't they couldn't so the, the Janes, you know two two you know the story of the jane the jane collective right. and they i mean hollywood have made a a lot of entertainment uh supporting abortion um have you noticed that um what what, what do you think of these um of these movies
2: uh, I haven't seen them all. I, I'm very aware of it. They might even might have been a third movie at Sundance. I'm not sure. There were at least two, but there's been Plan B, which is a movie a, a year or so ago. It's been a steady stream. Um, they often get great reviews. Shocking, you know. I think the, obviously the ideology of the critics comes into play here, but it's no accident. And the one movie that was on the other side of the debate, Roe v. Wade. I mean, there were tons of obstacles in that movie's way. Um, I, I wrote a lot about it at Hollywood and Toto. So you know, you can't just make another movie about another side of the conversation. Yeah, well, we we I saw that
1: like with that. Gosnell. We saw yeah. that. Listen, we should we should. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we're coming to the end of our interview now. But you have the two questions for. Questions. Yeah, we
0: always ask all our guests two additional questions. One, we ask them if they cook, what did they cook, or if they make cocktails, what do they make? What, do, what, what are they known what for? What are they famous for in their house? And we also okay. ask about a piece of art that's important to them, that's inspiring?
2: I am famous for my my spaghetti and meatballs. I make my meatballs myself. I've been making the last 20, 25 years. I was a prep cook back in the day for five minutes and it taught me how to make them. So that's sort of uh, the family- What's in your meatballs?
0: Because I'm rather famous for my meatballs. What's in yours?
2: Uh, uh, Breadcrumbs, eggs, uh, Parmesan cheese, a lot of oregano, uh, garlic, fresh garlic, um, salt and pepper, garlic powder. Pretty, pretty basic, honestly. What meat? Oh, you know, I use ground bison.
0: Oh, ground. Oh, yeah. And you don't do a combination of meats.
2: You know, I have in the past, but the ground bison's working for me so well right now. I haven't really had a chance to uh, shake it up a bit. You do know, do your, the, is, the ore-
0: is the oregano fresh? It's not.
1: No, mm-hmm. sorry.
0: Interesting to know. Okay. Do bye. you
1: know the difference between uh, a bison and a bison? Stop it, Phil. <laughs> can't wash your face in a bison okay very
0: good and uh and he's laughing he's He's laughing laughing. i know he's only been kind what's and what's the piece of art that is inspiring to you
2: you know it's a really silly answer it's um i'm not an art collector even though i went to art school but there's a song by the monkeys called shades of gray which i fell in love with as a child and it gets me it kind of gets me every time i hear it I know that's not art in a typical sense, but that's my best answer. It just, it connects me to my childhood, to innocence, to uh, days gone by, and uh, I can't, I can't listen to it without feeling something emotional every time.
0: Oh my God, that's wonderful. Um, And by the way, we noticed you, you spoke very nicely about um, American Underdog, which we've just, again, very recently seen, um, great film with our friend Zach Levy in it but people Wonderful. can go and find out more about christian by going to um hollywood and toto a brilliant brilliant website and um, giving you all the latest news and gossip from hollywood and what they're doing or trying to do yeah madness okay great. and, book. and the book we will put all the links up to where people can get, get the book which is yeah, just, just to
1: published. just give you the name of the book again it's called virtue bomb how hollywood got woke and lost its soul so thank you christian
2: thank you christian thank you. Thank you for all the work that you two do and all your team. You've been ahead of the curve forever. And I can't thank you enough for for doing just that. Thank you
1: so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Very, very interesting. I I wonder, I wonder for the future of Hollywood, you know, let's see where it's going. I, you know, cannot save itself I, I doubt it let's see let's see this story is a tragic story but there was a line in it that really got me and and this is when i'm again to repeat i have please resuscitate on my twitter bio for okay. a reason and this is before this show and ann claims not to have known it uh, and uh, this Okay, let me read it to you. A Colorado woman who had her seven-year-old daughter treated for medical th- conditions that she didn't have leading to the girl's death was sentenced on Wednesday to 16 years in prison. Should have been sentenced to... to uh,
0: forever in prison.
1: Forever in prison. But there you go. Because
0: um, she tortured the child as well yeah. as killing the child.
1: That the woman, Kelly Renee Turner, 43, was sentenced in Douglas County District Court after pleading guilty to charges of negligent child abuse, causing death, theft and charitable fraud. This is despicable crime, said the district attorney, blah, blah, blah. Right. But the, the, the line that really caught my attention was, you know, John Kellner, the district attorney, said, uh, she approved surgery after surgery and assisted, and insisted Olivia was not getting better prosecutor said in a statement. It was Miss Turner, they said, who put her daughter into hospice care oh. and pushed for a do not resuscitate order. Oh, God. But,
0: there's a couple of other things about this story that bother me. It bothers me a lot, the fact that doctors didn't look at this child and say, sorry, there's actually nothing wrong with this child. It seems like this woman was able to persuade doctors to have unnecessary medical treatments done on this child, which is really disturbing.
1: Yeah, yeah. but But, you know... That is possible. That, that happens, right? It's very hard when you go in and tell your child. I mean, the child was between one to seven. You can basically convince the child that the child is sick. It's very hard for the doctor to, to know it. But to get back to the to the to the reason I, that caught my attention in the story, because this is not an, you know, Munchausen syndrome by proxy, making someone else sick so you get the glory and the money uh, and the attention. It's not a particularly rare condition, but. How on earth can you have a do not resuscitate order on a seven-year-old? How, you know,
0: I would. I didn't know that that was possible. I thought you could only have a do not do not resuscitate order on an adult and I on thought, yourself. And I also on thought, yourself, no, I, exactly. And I also thought it only could be self inflicted.
1: Well, I mean, we, I mean, there was a, a scandal in, in the UK where they were putting doctors were putting do not resuscitate order orders on elderly on handicapped people uh, if they got COVID. Right, and that was a scandal, uh, because they weren't able to properly. So uh, they weren't able to to do it. Look for themselves. In in Britain, there was these do do not resuscitate orders on COVID elderly COVID people and uh, handicapped people. But it wasn't the family that that had them, and it wasn't the the patient that had them. It was the doctors who unilaterally decided this was a scandal. But how can you decide that there should be a do not resuscitate order on a child? it, it, it makes no sense. and But also, a do-not-resuscitate order when there was no clear illness that this child had. So, um, this, as I say, this is... this. Look, I know lots of people out there probably have do-not-resuscitate orders and think that they're, uh, you know, they're doing the right thing and they wouldn't want to be tied up to machines. You are... Listen to me now. You are allowing doctors who... Have lied through this pandemic to to decide whether you live or die. Uh, you know, the, do you trust the medical establishment now? Uh, you know, I trust several individual doctors, but the one thing this pandemic has shown, and one thing the climate change thing has showed, and all the, the all the scares, and even the HIV panic, where they told us we were all going to get HIV, and it turned out, of course, unless you were a drug user, a prostitute or a gay man then you were very 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 unlikely to get hiv but we were told it was going to affect everyone because you couldn't stigmatize the victims look there's politics in every medical decision and medicine is getting more and more and more political uh, we're getting examples now where people are not getting uh, heart transplants because they're not vaccinated so do you want your life or death in the hands of someone who is a deeply dipped Deeply political actor, and and is acting not for medical reasons but for political reasons. So please think about your do not resuscitate uh, actions. And Anne claims she didn't know I had a do not resuscitate. I know now. Though, or Phil, uh, do not do not now. do not resuscitate order. But I know you know, yeah you, know, you, know, you can see Anne. You know. Doctor, doctor, what, do you, what, what was that you say, doctor? Well, I know now. And uh, the insurance, and <laughs> the insurance is worth how much? You know, I think Phil would have would have wanted. Oh, okay, not to be. we're
0: moving on. Yes, we're moving on. So satire is in danger, um, unbelievably in danger, and you know, uh, because the news is just completely crazy. And the the story we have from last week, which is just, it just, it's very hard to read this and think that this wasn't written by the Babylon Bee or the Onion. So President Joe Biden. Father of crack cocaine smoking, Hunter Biden, I put in that bit, mm. will give $30 million of crack pipes away for free. Um, it's very difficult to make satire nowadays. The news cycle is just so insane. So, yes, the Biden administration is going to fund programs to hand out crack pipes.
1: I mean, it's very. There's, like, you know, that's and, an actual that's They're an actual safe, safe smoking kits. Stop calling them crack. Pipes. They're safe. Uh, smoking kits Yes
0: they're safe smoking kits For the consumption of various illicit drugs Like crack cocaine And you know and it's crystal all for and, and it's
1: all for racial equality That's true So Really that's oh Yeah everything has to be through the, the lens of racial equality now And they decided That it, it was to help uh, People I love the way they're so racist That only people of colour um, Need crack pipes So in order to make it safe For people of colour they're going to hand them out crack papers. There you go. And what, you've got like another the, one I have from another NPR. Beauty. I
0: have another beauty from NPR. And this is where taxpayer money, by the way, funded NPR. You know, this is what, you know, because there's nothing really that awful going on in the world, they're able to devote a huge amount of time to the fact that some, so this, now look at the symbol you're seeing on your screen. So this thumbs up.
1: Thumbs up. Is it emoji? whatever? So a, the
0: t- thumbs up emoji. Um, so there's different colours of thumbs up emojis, as you probably noticed. And there's this kind of yellow one. Apparently that's a big problem. So some white people may choose the yellow thumbs up because it feels neutral. But some academics, by the way, academics, by the way, this is what academics do nowadays, Mm. argue, argue, opting out of the thumbs up white hand signal signals a lack of awareness about white privilege akin to society associating whiteness with being raceless. So, yeah, I mean, you know, think about that. Can I ask a question? So they asked the question, you know, NPR, which skin colour emoji should you use? The answer can be more complex than you think. Well, no, actually, you know, buzz off NPR and maybe report some truth and some news instead of this kind of madness. Uh, What I
1: would like to say to NPR is, uh, and hopefully Rick can blur this out, is this racist?
0: Filum don't be doing that <laughs> Is that Mrs. Don't do that Filum. Magda's not upset. Magda's all upset. Look now. Top look at top cat is looking top at me. Top was looking. Even Topcat started to, start to get, getting shocked. But yes. you also have another little oh, wo- another n- little wo- uh, story Filum. Yeah.
1: You know it's just it's it's wonderful. So yeah, the US army says that renewable energy is both beneficial to the earth and war fighters and they're going to improve energy security and resilience of military bases and by 2030 by 2030 the US army is committed to using 100% carbon free electricity at its installations by 2035 they will install microgrids on every installation and by 2040 they will they will pursue enough Rechargeable batteries to self-sustain critical missions on all of its installations.
0: Isn't it just great, though? I just think that's great, by the way, because it means basically that there's no wars and there's no like there's no threats or anything. Like Russia's not going. I
1: mean, obviously, Russia's not invading no, the Ukraine, no and China's out there. not going to invade Taiwan. It's and chi- good news. Uh, you know, it's just it's. I mean, it's just and there's no uh, terrorism problem around the world. There's no energy
0: problem uh, obviously
1: either. It's <laughs> just it's just wonderful that, that is the, that those are. The, uh, priorities the priorities of, of, the, of the, the, fighting,
0: the, fi- the fighting army. I
1: feel safe in my bed at night, and. You know, on a similar vein, you know, of madness. You know, people, these people live, these elites live in a different world from you and I. Um, Fracking firm firm Quadrilla have just pulled, I said, we're not doing fracking anymore. Uh, In the United Kingdom. We tried it. It's just, it's just become too much. The the government, the conservative government doesn't support us. The Labour Party don't support us. Uh, This is a time when energy prices in the UK, gas prices are quadrupling and they have a chance because they're coming from Russia. Uh, all the gas in 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 most of the gas in 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 England and the UK comes from Russia. Some of it comes from the United Arab Emirates, and th- they don't want any fracking gas coming from America, and they don't want to frack themselves. So they're just going to be, pay more for their energy. Uh, for, and, you know. And by the way, has anyone ever looked at the environmental record of Gazprom? Oh yeah. What water are they polluting? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. then Ireland. I love this. Ireland. <laughs> Ireland aims to become exporter of energy. Oh, of course, the, the Taoiseach, Michael Martin tells France summit. Then the next line, Taoiseach says, country is vulnerable because of dependence on imported fossil fuels. Yeah. Ireland has just passed a law saying it will never exploit its fossil fuels. It's homegrown; that they're now officially banned from exploiting their own. I think own. that's
0: making them a little bit vulnerable.
1: Yes, <laughs> just, just yes. a tad. But they're going to become an exporter of energy. And
0: they're also, as we noticed and mentioned to you before, you, you know, if you build a new house in Ireland, you're not allowed to have a fireplace. So yeah. no more open fires. And I think for those of us who have open fires in our homes in Ireland, they're they're going to they're coming for us.
1: Yeah, but if they want. Listen, uh, Mr. Martin, uh, the, the Prime Minister slash Tishuk said Ireland wants to move to a stage where the country is exporting energy, but is currently vulnerable because of its reliance on fossil fuels. If we look at the geopolitical situation at the moment, part of our vulnerability, and certainly from an Irish perspective, is our dependence on imported fossil fuels. Boy, does he repeat himself a lot. Our way out of that depends is the development of offshore winds and particularly floating technologies, green hydrogen, and greater storage capacity as well. Or you could exploit all the gas and oil that is around your own coast and have a nice mix of energy so you're never vulnerable to any shock or to any weather catastrophe or you know the, there's a nice mix i mean we, t- we knew that ourselves last year we tried to i wrote to the local builder suppliers for our house in ireland and said can you uh can you we need to buy a generator we don't we believe the lights are going to go off this winter and he wrote back laugh you can almost hear the laughter through the email saying Everyone wants a generator. We, we, we're not even taking orders for them because we can't source them.
0: So we're coming to the end. And I just wanted to thank everybody for responding so generously to my, my frantic question about what to do with all the lemons. Connie Parson, thank you for writing. Once a year, my sweet aunt in California, this is what Connie said, my sweet aunt in California sends me a box of Meyer lemons from her tree. We use as many as we can in recipes and the rest we zest and juice. The zest is easy to dry on a cookie sheet, then pop it into a Ziploc bag for the freezing. The juice is frozen in small freezer containers. You can also freeze the juice in ice cube trays, then pop it into Ziploc bags. It's a joy to have the zest and juice. What do you do with the zest? To use all year. You can use it in recipes, all kinds of recipes. Okay. Um, really, really gorgeous and very, very strong and just gorgeous. Uh, and so that was really kind. Thanks a million from, from you, Connie. Then we also had BJ De Martino, who wrote and said, I, he uh, or he or she had left um, a voice message as well. I take any extra lemons I have and juice them, freeze them in Ziploc baggies on a cookie tray until... F- on- tray until frozen. Then store till I need fresh lemon juice for breaking Anyway, really, really nice Chris McCoy, a very good friend of ours suggested lemon curd, lemon cello, candied lemons, lemon box ice. Yeah, hold
1: on, hold on, hold on there Miss McCoy Miss McCoy. Yes Suggest all you want, but we need a bit more than that. That's true. So, you know, uh, what about what about a recipe? That's
0: true. Lauren Kleist says juice them, pour the juice into ice cube trays and freeze them. A lot of people are suggesting that. That's a brilliant idea by the way. Then dump the ice cubes into the the freezer bag, and you now have fresh lemon juice anytime you need it. Really, can okay, I just say one thing about Miss
1: Lauren Kleist? Yes, she then says you can even put the cubes into iced tea. Iced tea is an abomination, Miss Lauren Kleist. Let me tell you.
0: A friend of ours, uh, I know Lumi, you had a
1: revolution over tea, but you know, a very good friend of ours Lumi doesn't give you Lumi permission to destroy it. Go ahead. A,
0: a friend of ours, Lumi, suggested I chop and boil them with skin and everything for 15 minutes or so and drink the juice all very healthy. We got a great suggestion from our friend Lisa Robertson, and that's Lisa as in Al and Lisa from Duck Dynasty, and she said, maybe Lemon Drops I'll come back to that in a moment. Libby Young, our friend in Australia, wrote and said must get Pam's lemon bars recipe from Ali Mills. Yes, B&B was my secret shame. I'm not sure what that all, what's that all about, but lemon bars recipe. Okay, lemon uh, loads and loads. June Thornton suggested, did you know that you can wash dry and freeze whole lemons in plastic bags for future
1: use? I a did not know that. A number of people
0: mentioned that and I thought that was a brilliant idea, so we're going to do There's that. There's
1: Imka and our a- friend
0: Imka said, lemons are my favourite. You can pickle them and I I see a comment above that you can freeze them and that's a great way pickle to lemons
1: how do you what do you how would you pickle lemons
0: the way you pickle everything film i use lemon zest in pastries and pasta there you go by the way there's your question answered she imka uses lemon zest in pastries and pasta in salad dressing you can freeze some juice of it too um if you have too much in one harvest anyway she good luck and there's meta
1: meyer says lemon snap cookies with lemon zest uh, people
0: said make lemon shallow anyway loads and loads of suggestions our
1: friend Catherine says vodka and lemons of course Nicole Comer actually from Texas says make it a centerpiece on your table
0: very, and, and she makes a very good point and by the way so we have a winner and the winner is Lisa Robertson which kind of I think most of you would have guessed that already that I would have gone for the lemon drop which is this martini really really nice so look what I've got done here one thing to suggest immediately um, is to put your martini glass in the freezer before you start to make this I just think it just adds an extra dimension it's lovely to have it nice and nice and cold and it looks so nice so what i what i chose to do here for this i made my own kind of recipe i've looked up lots of recipes for lemon drop martini you can um you know do do it do it whichever way you like and i'll tell you why i went with this one um and why some of you would like this one um i used one shot of vodka I would use one shot, the same shot. And you can see the shot measure that Mm -hmm. I'm using there of lemon juice. A half a shot of Cointreau, a half a shot of agave syrup. And the agave is to kind of sweeten the thing because obviously the lemon juice is is super, super bitter. i just
1: say how wonderfully this is filmed.
0: Salem filmed this Thank you oh, very much Oh yeah I forgot that Yeah oh, exactly And then the, and then, basically and I, and I peeled off some lemon twists Shake it all about So basically Give that a nice shake With a whole bunch of ice in it And then pour it into your With a strainer Pour it into your Um your martini glass the other thing that you'll notice is that the vodka i used i put it into i I decided i might try and do some infusing which is another thing that you can do with your with extra lemons but i was infusing with some lemons and some jalapenos to be honest with you uh by the i hadn't done that very long so there was no real kick out of it
1: but how long do you need to do it i
0: think you'd need to do it you'd need to do it a bit longer and maybe even a week by the way but i'm going to keep you i'll keep you posted on that I would say that the lemon drops, look at me having a drink of it, they're absolutely gorgeous. And what I would say to people is, the way I did it with that particular recipe, it's not very... it's not super, super strong from an alcohol point of view. It's not like super, super alcohol forward. And it's also not super, super bitter um, because of the agave. And funny enough, mm. I actually like my drinks a little bit more on the tart side. So I think if I'm making it the next time, I might leave out the agave syrup. Because it's pretty much not, you know, not that very, very tart, lemony taste. That's basically every, which I would every,
1: really like. every recipe of Anne's. leave out the sugar. Leave out the sugar, leave yes. out the sugar. Uh, and uh, every recipe of do- film is... Pour in the sugar.
0: We're coming to the very end of the, of the podcast. And I wanted to just bring one really lovely message we got from Jim, who wrote on uh, the YouTube channel. And basically, he was commenting on our piece from last week when we had John Andrasik on. And we played some of the song um, that John had written for us, Song for the Innocents, that, came in, that we used in the film Gosnell. And this is what Jim wrote. Beautiful. Jim said, incredible song. It's been a while since Gosnell was released, and I watched it in Burbank the first day it came to the big screen. The first actual day was not the first day it was supposed to play, and we remember these stories since AMC was toying with us and claimed that it couldn't be shown on the first day for some mumbo jumbo technical reason that I couldn't understand. So I came back on the actual first day. It was one of the few movies I have watched in my life where I stopped breathing at several points in the story. What a movie! I bought a DVD copy. So as soon as I can find that after my big move out of L.A., I'll watch it again. Great work, Anne and Phelan. And I've written back to you, Jim. And please do let let me know. I want to know where are you moving to? Because maybe we'll be following you. Please remember that my son, Hunter, is in the edit yes we are you know working on every aspect of the film and color and all of that it all takes a while it looks amazing you who have supported us and made this possible um will be so proud of everything that you've done with this movie we were so so happy about it okay Um, well
1: yep so please give what you can to mysonhunter.com uh go to mysonhunter.com and let's make a great movie and tell the truth thank you bye bye